0: Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Abide in Liberty. Um, came down with an illness this week, so I'm hoping my voice holds up, but apologize if I start to lose it here partway through. I want to start off by responding to a comment from last week's episode. Last week, I spoke about how you actually can prove God's existence, that there is a scientific method that He has provided that if you put those to the test, He will provide evidence. But like every other experiment um, that you conduct for anything whatsoever, the way that you do that is by experimentation first and then collecting and gathering evidence. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've, I I kind of get the impression that YouTube likes to only show my stuff to those who are likely to respond to it very negatively. So I get lots of those. Um, if you are watching um, and you are liking what you're seeing, please take a moment and let me know that there are people out there that actually um like the things that I'm putting out into the world. Uh, give it a like, give it a subscribe or a, a brief comment. I'd really appreciate it um i you know i'm not going to stop it's not really to help pat my back but to to let youtube know to share this with more people like yourselves so that we can get this message further um if they just want to keep showing it to people that don't like me i'm cool with that too i'm not going to stop because this is what god wants me to do but if you get a chance to jump on, like, subscribe, same thing with the podcast, uh, let those algorithms know. Uh, it's a little bit like swimming upstream because they there definitely is an intention to throttle here. Um, that's pretty obvious. Um, but let them know that there are people out there that like this too, and, and maybe we can get this out to a few more people. All right. So in this most recent comment, uh, the commenter pretty much responded that, um, you know, uh, The fact that I enjoy my life or the results that I get from living Christianity is not necessarily proof that anything bigger than me is out there because there are many religions who have people that practice different beliefs that all get benefit from practicing those reliefs. So, you know, my um, try it and then see the evidence argument isn't really um, something that can be relied on. Now, that, I would argue, would be true if all I was saying was, I like my life when I live Christian principles. You know, that's a little bit like saying, I like the way I feel when I practice yoga on a regular basis. No, I've never actually done that. I've not tried that personal experience. The few times I've done yoga has been— um, miserable, actually, but I know there are a lot of people out there that will say, man, I just love the way I feel when I practice yoga on a regular basis. That doesn't mean that that makes yoga a god in the same way that just because, hey, I like the way I feel, I like, well, maybe even a better way to say it is I like my life when I live Christian principles or a Muslim might say, I like my life when I live by Muslim principles or a Buddhist would say, I Kind of like my life, and I like who I'm hanging with. When I live by these Buddhist principles, what I was trying to say goes way deeper than that. the ex- The personal experiences that I've had with deity are so profound that it's not just, "Hey, I kind of like this." Um, it's real. It's deep. And it's inexplicable unless you have tried the experiment and done it for yourself. So again, to that commenter, you're kind of scratching the surface, but until you actually put those experiments to the test and ask God if he's real, ask if Christ really is your redeemer. And if you're open to that answer, the, the impressions and the feelings and the experiences that you will have as a result of that honest inquiry is something that you simply can't explain. It's almost like trying to explain color to somebody who was born blind. You're you're kind of at a loss. It's something you have to experience in order to really appreciate. So um, Christ truly is the answer for all people everywhere on this planet. Anyone that happens to live on any other planet out there, that is truth. It is absolute. And your belief otherwise doesn't make that doesn't make it true any more than a flat earther's belief that the earth is flat somehow makes that true. God is real. His son, Jesus Christ, sacrificed himself so that all of us could overcome sin and return to the presence of a heavenly father who loves us so much that he let his only begotten son do this for us. That is true. And I know that, in a way much more profound and real and deep than just hey i tried not killing people not stealing being nice to people and i kind of like the and i kind of like the results it's way more than that so give it a shot when you're ready to uh, uh, make that honest attempt i'd love to chat with you again all right in the news this week a federal district court issued a preliminary injunction today ordering the Saucon Valley School District To allow the After School Satan Club, the ASSC, so if you see that acronym pop up in your schools, uh, you better perk up and pay attention, but to allow the After School Satan Club to meet in district facilities. The emergency injunction comes after the American Civil Liberties Union, the the ACLU of Pennsylvania, and Deschert LLP filed a lawsuit in March on behalf of the Satanic Temple the TST, which sponsors the club. In its decision, the court ruled that the district likely violated the First Amendment when it bowed to public pressure by revoking approval for the club to hold meetings at the Saucon Valley Middle School. The district had previously admitted that under the U.S. Constitution, it cannot discriminate among groups wishing to use the SVSD facility. So, my mind kind of goes in all kinds of different directions when I hear this one. First of all, is it constitutional to prevent the satanic temple from operating an after-school club? You know, one thing I do know for sure, I'm not sure where we are today, exactly where the founders would land. What I do know is that when they wrote the First Amendment, they were not envisioning protecting satanic worship. They were thinking Catholicism, Protestantism, even Muslims and Buddhists and even atheists, Right. But over worship of Satan, you know, I, I, I doubt that entered even into their minds as a possibility, but let's concede the fact that freedom of conscience is what they would really after. So, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if in a debate, you know, ultimately, and, and if they were put to the, to the question, I wouldn't be surprised if they were to say, well, you know, if someone really wants to worship Satan, you know, we got to allow freedom of conscience. That is Absolutely most important. I think they would be concerned, and I certainly am way more concerned about how Satan has become so emboldened in this country that there are parents advocating for a Satan club at their schools. What has led to that? And as we've talked about many times on this podcast before, it is a direct attack on God and kicking him out of schools and creating a void that has to be filled by something. It it creates a vacuum that has allowed evil to seep in and take center stage in a country that used to be predominantly Christian and God fearing. So this is for me, you know, not so much um, an issue of, you know, we should deny First Amendment rights to those who wish to worship Satan, but what have we done to this country? that that has become mainstream enough that parents are just like, yeah, I kind of want this for my kids. You know, I want them to learn how to program and do robotics. Oh, and worship Satan. Yep. That, that, that sounds like the right rounding out of extracurriculars for my child. What in the world is wrong with us? You know, now some might get a little bit tripped up by the satanic temples mission statement. Here's what it says. And Here's, here's kind of what the mission statement of the club is. The club is open to all students and offers programming such as community service projects, games, nature-based activities, and arts and crafts inspired by and aligned with—now listen to this. Oh, this makes me cringe. The satanic virtues of benevolence, empathy, critical thinking, problem-solving, creative expression personal sovereignty, and compassion. Now, you might be listening to that and thinking, well, if that's what this club promotes, is it really that bad? And are they actually worshiping Satan? Well, guys, I got news for you. Satan is lying to you. He's the father of lies. Get it? Satan is not benevolent. He doesn't feel empathy, and he certainly doesn't want you critically thinking. And the one that is most laughable is personal sovereignty, really. I mean, this is the guy that wanted to rob everybody of their free will, of their right to choose and force everyone to do it his way. That's not personal sovereignty. That's not critical thinking. That's not problem solving. It's not benevolent, empathetic, and there is no compassion there. I mean, this is the guy behind Hitler. I'm sorry, but compassion is not a part of his repertoire. So run, run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. I mean, the fact that this is even a news story, the fact that we even have to have this conversation is disturbing to say the least. Guys, evil is everywhere. It is on display absolutely everywhere. Now, we've kind of become desensitized to some of this, but just... The images that we and our children are exposed to in the checkout line at a grocery store are evil, are pornographic, are wrong on so many levels. You know, 100 years ago or 80 years ago, there was no language at all in movies, but we've come to just accept kind of a a low level of bad language, of references to extramarital affairs or extramarital intimacy as kind of commonplace. We, the, Our frog has been in this pot of hot water, and it's reached a boil, and much of the evil that we're surrounded with doesn't even shock us anymore. And that is a terrifying, terrifying thought. Now, you might have been shocked a little bit to hear about this satanic club, but I have heard more and more in news articles and around the country references to the satanic temple creeping up more and more. It's shocking now, and it should stay shocking, but I've got a feeling that we're going to hear more and more about this, and it's going to take a concerted effort to not become desensitized to the presence of the Satanic temple and its influence in our country and in our schools and in our society and in our lives. Wow. <clears throat> I've been um, reading a book called "Return of the Gods" by Jonathan Kahn. And I want to give a quick disclaimer. I don't recommend this. If you're one of um, my teenage listeners, maybe add this to your reading list when you're older and married. There's definitely some mature themes here um, to go through. But his premise in this book, and kind of um is represented in a parable from Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verses 43 through 45 say. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked Generation. So the premise of this book, and what you know, you you can kind of go. I, I highly recommend reading it, especially if uh, if you're an adult, a little bit older, um, you know, for older, mature audience. Because he kind of walks through how everything that we have seen in our society, from the sexual revolution in the 1960s through current gender ideology, has been done before. There's nothing new under the sun. This is all a repeat beginning from a pattern that began back in ancient Mesopotamia and was repeated in every major civilization and led to the downfall of every major civilization since the dawn of time. And in every case, this pattern from this parable has been represented that when, when the pagan gods that are inspired by the master of evil himself, the worship of these gods is inspired by Satan. When when those gods and those influencers are cast out of a society, and God replaces it, um, there is flourishing, there is happiness, there is scientific advancement. It is incredible the things that happen to those societies that have God as their God. But when they kick Him out, and that they they remove Him from that house, that house has become clean from God's presence. But when He's kicked out, it creates a vacuum. It creates a void that allows those evil spirits that possess the nation originally to return, but in in increased numbers. And God talks about that. I mean, this is this is in Scripture that when a nation has once accepted God and then rejects Him, it is always worse after they have known the truth than before. When we sin in ignorance, there is a lot of grace there. But when we willfully rebel— Against greater light and knowledge, the depths that we descend to after that when we choose to reject that are have brought about the periods of of human history that are marked with depravity and perversion that is too disgusting to really even talk about and we are repeating that pattern today and that's what this book by Jonathan Kahn. Is all about, um, and we're kind of we're kind of reaching the end game of this um, paganization of America. So, what do we do about it? What's different about our day than every other time that there has been an apostasy from God's light and truth is that we have been promised that in the last days, evil will not completely drive out the light. In a paragraph toward the end of the book in this Return of the Gods, Jonathan Kahn says in his recommendation for how we fight this in our day and how we make sure that evil doesn't completely win, he says, we must renounce any and all other gods and any hold they have on our lives. We must take no part in their ways, have no communion with their spirits, leave no gap for their entrance, and pay no heed their commandments. Now, and this is my list, but what are some of those commandments that this new religion is telling us we must obey? It might sound something like Thou shalt agree with me that my lifestyle is right for me. Thou shalt affirm my perception of myself, no matter how divorced from reality it is. Thou shalt tell me I am perfect as I am. I got news for you none of us are perfect. That's kind of the whole point. If we believe the lie that we are perfect, then we've just completely obviated the need for a redeemer. That idea that we are perfect the way we are sounds like a good um, self esteem mantra, but it is evil because it eliminates the need for Christ and there is no redemption without him. It is incredibly empowering to say, I'm not perfect, but I can be better because I have a Savior that's going to do this with me. Another commandment might sound something like, thou shalt feel justified in accepting filth in thy entertainment. Thou shalt prioritize career, sports, entertainment, and leisure above all else. Thou shalt prioritize thine own well-being over family and marital covenants. Thou shalt judge others harshly and glory in backbiting, gossip, and contention. Thou shalt accept that truth can be different for different people. And even if you disagree with that, thou shalt keep absolute truth to thyself, lest it make others feel guilty. Thou shalt admit that the problem of protecting the unborn is too big for you. And the list could go on and on. There are far more than 10 commandments of pagan America. But one thing that has also struck me And I've had this conversation with many people. What do we do about it? And in many instances, the answer that I hear is, we just have to grin and bear it until Christ comes. I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm going to try and not stick it out there so it doesn't get chopped off. We're just going to practice faith in our family and kind of just wait for the storm to blow over and Christ to come back and make it all right. But guys... That is not discipleship. Christ didn't tell his apostles, keep your heads down and let me do it all. He sent them into the world and many of them came under fire just like he did. Many of them were killed in a very similar way that he was. We've been told that the idea of, of keeping to ourselves, of just grinning and bearing it and waiting for him to come fix it all is as absurd as somebody lighting a candle and then covering it with a basket. You wouldn't do that. It's a waste of light. We're told instead to let our life so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We are told that that candle should be put on a hill so that all can see it and come unto it. We are told to pick up our cross and follow Christ to His own cross if necessary. We are told to follow his commandments and at the top of that list is that when we are converted to strengthen our brethren, we are told that we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the way of life unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, to every person on this planet. They need it desperately as the world gets darker. If we hide our light, then those who are still searching for it won't be able to find us. But conversely, as the world gets darker, our candle will be easier seen by those who would target us, yes, but by those who are searching for a better way. When Christ returns, he is going to look. Those who will be on his right hand will be those who have heeded his command to follow him and do the things that we have seen him do. And guess what? He came into the world at a time where paganism was at its peak, at the height of the Roman Empire, where the Roman authority and the Roman power over life and death was absolute. He told them, the disciples at that point, to follow him in the face of that evil and that insurmountable obstacle. We're not even close to that yet, and we're going to hide and cower and give up now? We have got to stop being afraid to call evil, evil. When Christ returns, those who will be found on his right hands are those who have followed his example, not those who have cowered and hidden and refuse to share the light that they have. Those who do that will lose the light that they have. A candle under a basket will lose oxygen and will snuff itself out. The time for indecision is past. We're, we're reaching a point in our country's history, in human history, where there is no room to sit on the sidelines. It's time to pick a side, and which side do we want to be on when Christ returns? Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideinLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.